Hey everyone, it's Jeff from MCS Mag, and if you've been listening to us for any length of time, you've no doubt heard at least one, two, or probably even five of my interviews with my good friend Peyton Quinn. Now, Peyton is actually one of my favorite people in the whole world, and not only is he literally a legend in the combative industry, though he won't say so himself, he's just a Harley-riding good old boy who really knows how to have a good time and put together what's been called by experts in our industry the most realistic hand-to-hand and force-on-force firearms training available today. I think this week's interview will give you a quick peek into some of the reasons why his perspective is so unique in our community. Check this out. Bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging. Would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive. If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Action beats reaction. It's a simple scientific fact of street fighting that renders traditional martial arts blocking techniques useless when you're standing chest to chest with some thug ready to take your wallet or a barroom bully who's looking to punch your teeth out of your face to make himself look tougher in front of his friends. I don't care how often you train to block blow after blow in the relaxed atmosphere for the local self-defense school. Once a punch is already headed toward your cranium, you're working with bad odds that are practically guaranteed to work against you and send you to the hospital, or worse, the morgue. But fortunately, this same scientific principle works just as well for you as it does for the streetwise criminal. And if you are able to launch your attack at the right time and in the right way, you can lay your attacker out on the floor in a split second before he even knows what hit him. And there's nothing he can do about it. But won't that get you in trouble with the law? And what if you're up against someone who's bigger and stronger than you and your strike just pisses him off even more? Well, we're here today to make sure that you don't end up either on a stretcher or the wrong side of a jailhouse door as we show you the why, what, and how of gaining that first strike advantage in a real fight. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat Survival Magazine and executive director of the New World Patriot Alliance with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And my guest today is my good buddy and legendary reality-based self-defense innovator, Peyton Quinn. Peyton, welcome back to the program, man. Legendary, huh? Legendary. I'm happy to be here, Jeff. Always am. <laughs> well, listen, Peyton is a true legend in my mind, anyway, in the combatives industry, and I think a lot of other people's mind as well. In fact, Peyton is seen as a pioneer in training for how to effectively use reality-based self-defense strategies, as well as firearms tactics, in light of your body's natural response to life-or-death scenarios in what is called adrenal stress response. Now, he's produced several DVDs and books on these topics, and the one common theme that you'll find in all of his training is that it's based on real-world experience, not fantasy martial arts theory. As Peyton has done a hard time as a bouncer for some of the toughest biker bars and seedy dives in the country, and discovered what really works for surviving a violent attack when there's nothing between you and a prison-hardened thug except for your hands and your wits. Now, for more information about Peyton and his training, go to www.peytonquinn.com. And I have good news for everyone. Peyton is sort of kind of out of, out of retirement here with his widely popular course for adrenal resp- uh, response training. And he's got a new course that's coming up August 19th to the 23rd. Now, I've taken a bunch of our readers and followers out there before, all the way from beginners all the way up to FBI shooters, and this was by far the best class that everybody had been to, both from a hand-to-hand perspective as well as from a firearms perspective. So uh, take advantage of this really rare opportunity to train with Peyton and his team. Oh, make sure you go over to his website. You can see applications there. Again, it's www.peytonquinn.com. Now, Peyton, let's uh, let's go ahead and get started in this. This is a this is a topic that we've kind of covered before in in another way, but I'm but I'm really interested in finding out kind of this uh, this preemptive striking aspect of here. So, so obviously when when we hit someone first, we don't want to go to jail, and, and anybody can get in that first shot 
and then get arrested and prosecuted for battery. So what we want to do is hit the other guy first and go home to our families. So what would you say, though, are the, the biggest misconceptions that people have about taking that first strike in the context of legal self-defense? I'd say there's one central one. And first, let me preface this. Most fights are avoidable, and that really should be your first objective. But preemptive striking, the big myth is that if you throw the first punch, you cannot claim self-defense legally. That is not always true. And to understand why that isn't always true, we really have to fall back to when the use of violence in your self-defense is legally justified in the general sense. Well, the first thing is the threat must be immediate and be one of serious injury or even death. Threat must be immediate. Second, the threat must be actionable. In other words, he has to have the means to carry out the threat. If he says, I'm going to blow your head off, but you see both of his hands making gestures at you, the threat is not immediately um, actionable by him. He can't, he's got nothing in his hands, can't blow your head off. At that instant, obviously. Uh, and then <clears throat> the threat must be otherwise unavoidable. The law demands pretty much that you not get involved in fights. If somebody insults you verbally or whatever and tries to humiliate you, uh, <clears throat> although there are a few exceptions in a few states called fighting words, in general, verbal uh, uh, verbal assault does not justify Violence in, in your self-defense comes back to the first one. The uh, threat must be immediate and one of serious injury or even death. Words are not going to kill you. All right, let me quickly review. The threat has to be immediate. It has to be actionable by the person. He has to have the parent means to actualize this threat, and it has to be otherwise unavoidable. So now, given that, let's look at a a very clear example of where preemption would be or might be supported at law. Remember, <laughs> the law is not about justice, it's about rules and procedures, so you're always rolling the dice and legally. But a clear example of where legal preemption would be, where there's a disparity of force or numbers. If I'm facing two guys, and my experience tells me, <clears throat> excuse me, that these guys are moving for position on me, and from their all the cues these such people give, uh, and having dealt with it before, if there's two guys and I know they're going to imminently attack me, then I'm going to preempt, take one of them out immediately. Because it's very difficult to fight two people. Therefore, that disparity of force, because there's two of them, might make my actions legal and taking out one of them before he realizes what's happening as he's closing on me, even. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, let's say the guy's 6'2 and 250 pounds and has been uh, maybe <laughs> has been working out with weights in prison for the last five years. There's a disparity of force there if you're not equal in size with him. Um so I think the thing to understand is preemption, throwing the first punch, can be lawful. That doesn't mean the court will see it that way, but it can be lawful if there's a disparity of force especially or numbers. Yeah. Well, it really comes down to a lot of what you can articulate, even whether it's in the cops or whether it's it's in, you know, a, in front of a jury, but you know, so like you said, there's, you know, they might they might have fighting words like "I'm going to kick your ass." Well, words don't ne they don't necessarily constitute assault no. by themselves. So, but it's what is if it's the words are teamed up with other signs that you can articulate, then that might give you the standing that you need to say, "Yes, I struck because I felt like I was in imminent danger." So let me ask you this, because I mean, I believe that. You should be able to spot those warning signs mm -hmm. and and take the first shot if you can because if you're if you're trying to block like we say action always beats reaction for the most part and so um 
so when you're looking for these signs to be able to articulate that to a responding officer or to the law, what 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 are those primary warning signs of violence that you're looking at to see that a threat is imminent? Like the guy is standing in front of you, he's about to hit you. How do you know, like, okay, this is more than just some guy trying to, like, look tough. This guy really means to do me harm. I think, really, frankly, I think most people just have to, can rely on their gut feeling there. Uh, there's, let me bring up another uh, legal point that's, that applies to this quite directly. It's a legal concept called the reasonable man theory. What would a reasonable man think or do in the given circumstances knowing what he did at the time? Now, that last part, knowing what he did at the time, is a critical one. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, suppose you knew the guy who was barking on you, uh, threatening you, had beaten up several other people before. You see? Yeah. If you knew that, that works into your legal defense. Because anything you knew before the incident occurred is admissible in court. But anything you learned after is not. The logic being that anything you knew at the time could have entered into your decision-making process, but nothing you learned afterward could have entered into your decision-making process at the time of the incident. So that's so. Anything you know before is admissible in court in your defense, and that's important. That's why people should educate themselves uh, to the law into the reality of violence, like in the, in the course, there's a very significant legal section. Let me give you another example of that. If a person, most people would think that if I have a gun, you know, concealed weapons permit and a shoulder holster, let's say, that a person 25 feet from me is not really that big of a threat if he pulls a knife and says he's going to kill me. But in reality, you know, uh, most people can uh, pull a knife from 25 feet away and charge you and stab you before you can stop them and draw your firearm. So if you knew that beforehand, if you knew a person 25 feet away could easily close the distance, and most often they really can, before you could draw your firearm, that would enter into your decision process to use lethal force. But it, and so could be used as a defense in court. But if you didn't know that, you couldn't use that defense. So I'm encouraging people to educate themselves, to train themselves realistically and know these things. Mm -hmm. I know I've seen the papers, witness a cop will shoot somebody who's got a knife or a club or something. And the people will say, well, hey, he had a gun. The other guy had a knife or a club, had a knife, just had a knife and it's 15 feet away. Well, the cop shot him because he knows how quickly that person can close the distance and that his uh, life is in immediate danger and it's otherwise unavoidable. A cop really is bound by the same uh, legal restraints on using violence and self-defense that we are. Uh, and another thing that uh, we might be getting ahead of ourselves here, I don't know. What, what well, let me let me ask you this. This is maybe a little bit more to the point. So, okay. so you're right. So, it's what you know ahead of time that helps you to articulate that why you were justified in taking the first strike. So, if I could articulate, like I know the warning signs, like when somebody is going to punch me. What are some of those those and especially with your work in like adrenal response training when people mm -hmm. get the adrenaline going, especially somebody that's looking to take your head off of your shoulders, like yeah. there's certain things physically that happen to them that you should be looking for as okay, uh, I see this happening, I see this happening, I see this happening, which means that he's getting himself like revved up and and that and so if you know that ahead of time so what are those things those those signs okay. that somebody can see in somebody physically that would say this person's about ready to punch me well okay let me give you first not everybody who's going to sucker punch you is going to be necessarily that adrenalized there are some relaxed headhunters out there right but in general yeah uh let's say a traffic 
uh, it's a fender bender or something. The guy gets up, his face is all red, and as he walks towards you, one whole side of his body moves instead of a normal walk. I call it the Frankenstein walk. If I see that Frankenstein walk, then I know things have escalated to a point where he's close to attacking physically. Uh, then the color of his face, it's just red, and his breath, his breath is coming quickly. Now, like I said, to most people, these are uh, common sense. They can go with their gut. But let me give you another idea here. If, if you, we've all heard the term livid or shaking with rage. Well, what that is is the guy is adrenalized. He's pissed. He wants to take your head off. Part of him, though, is saying, I can't do this, legal consequences, everybody's watching, etc. He's fighting the other part of his mind, his amygdala, that says, kill this fucker. So he's kind of caught in a loop. He wants to go forward, he wants to go hold his position or go back. So that's why he's shaking or livid with uh, anger. Now, there, there are things you can do to train yourself to spot when the punch is coming. And really, people just don't do that. I mean, they, they, when I was a bouncer, I, I, I'm not exaggerating here. I could know by sounds of voices and body postures uh, five or ten minutes before a fight started that these two guys we're going to go, go at it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so the cues are definitely there. You just have to learn to read them. Now, in that curious profession, I don't know what madness, except economic necessity, forced me into that work, but I did learn a great deal. It's like animal kingdom, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you start to see things like um, their teeth clenching, the face turning red, not muscles in their walk. neck. Yeah, Frankenstein walk, muscles in their neck starting to tense up. Right. Those are things you want to start looking for. Well, you should notice that immediately. Yeah. 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 Uh, let's look at some uh, a simple drill. Can we do that? To, sure. Um, the, uh, it's a simple drill to recognize when the punch is about to be thrown. Now, what you said about action being faster than reaction is, of course, fundamentally true. But to really understand that more deeply, we have to under, understand what is the first action. The first action is not his, him throwing the punch. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. The first action is all the cues that come before he's throwing the punch. Therefore, what may seem like reaction is, is action, and it can be faster. I mean, let me, here's a simple drill we do. You can do it at home. All you need is a partner, somebody about your size. Uh, the two people stand and extend their hand to their fingers just touch. So now they're really just out of striking range, but they're close. Now, the striker, he, he stands there relaxed and with as little cues as possible and as fast as smooth as he can, he throws a shot at the other guy who is relaxed and makes no defense. He's just, he knows the punch will not hit him anyway. He just is trying to relax so his mind can absorb the visual cues of throwing the punch. And the guy, the guy throwing the punch tries to do this as spontaneously as he can but putting a space of time between the first punch and the second attempt and the third attempt so that the things can settle down and the other person can see it. If you do this some, and then get another person, and you'll see their cues are slightly different, but fall into the same deal. The, the right shoulder drop is probably, most people are right-handed. Lefties can be tough. <laughs> you know, ordinary boxers who are left-handed do, do better than they ordinary would in their careers because they're left-handed and the, the other boxes aren't tuned for that. Anyway, if you do this drill, notice uh, the shoulder drop and eventually, that's the most obvious, but you can even get it to where 
you see facial cues that your partner is giving before he throws it. That's more subtle. But virtually no one throws a punch without giving some cues. Look at professional boxing. Professional boxing, those guys are good. They are dedicated and they train like hell. And their training method is very good. And they can throw a shot very powerfully and very fast. Yet they get in the boxing ring with another boxer and 200 punches are thrown and only one or two land or graze the guy. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. That wouldn't be possible unless the other boxer had learned the cues, the body motions, the face, everything uh, of the punch that's coming. So uh, do you understand the drill I outlined? Yeah. Yeah, sure, it makes total sense. It's, you know, it's a reaction drill, but again, you, you what you want to do is you want to you want to spot the cues. It's not meant to try and get your reaction faster, so that if some if somebody right. starts to throw a punch, you can block it in time. But it's really yeah, meant yeah. to know, like, here's the signs that somebody is going to throw a punch. Yeah, you're learning them yourself. Nobody's right. teaching you. The other the partner is just throwing them, and you're looking and saying, okay, what happens here? In order to do this successfully, you have to relax your mind so it's open to these things and not yeah. tense you won't see anything if you're tense right. now the next part of the drill is when the guy when you perceive the guy's going to throw the punch point right at his hand and then he freezes you see mm-hmm. and he knows whether he was just about to throw the punch or maybe you'll catch him halfway his hand halfway up or something so you just point, you relax, and as soon as you see the cues you've learned from the previous drill, you just point real quick, real very quickly. And to move quickly, it means relaxation. Yeah. If yeah. you tense yourself, your muscle fibers are working against each other and slowing you down. But what's the most challenging part of being in a hand-to-hand combat? Well, it's the adrenal stress that tends to tense your muscles uh, make you stop breathing and all that. If you can relax as much as is possible, that's a, a tremendous advantage in any type of combat. I mean, it's been talked about in Asian martial arts forever, but that's what it comes down to. Yeah. If you choke, you can't move, and he's got you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we've been talking. Well, the other thing that I'll, I'll throw in here, is uh, the other thing I'll throw in here is that everybody can, you can kind of look at YouTube a little bit and start <laughs> to go look at some real fights and start to look at what are some signs like with two people that are really getting ready to fight. Look and see what the signs are because I know when I dealt with gangs in um, in New Mexico, uh, I dealt with a lot of gangs in New Mexico and I got in some confrontations with some people. And one thing I also noticed when there were gang fights is that um, two things. Two things to me always signify that there was going to be a fight. One, if there were two groups, if there was, if his buddies were there, that was usually meant that they better do something, otherwise they lose lose face in front of their friends. So know that right. that that ups the ante for them right there. But there were two things that I always noticed. A lot of guys did. Now, again, this is very probably very specific to um, maybe even the Latin gangs or other gangs that are out there. I dealt a lot with Latin Latin gangs in, in New Mexico. But um, one, the person that was going to fight, when just before he went to go throw a punch, he would pull off his shirt and go bare chest. <laughs> See what I mean by wild kingdom? Exactly, yeah. And the other thing was if they were wearing a baseball cap, they would turn it around backwards. Right. I don't know what the hell that does. I have no, no freaking are, clue. You know, this is neuro-linguistic programming on a primitive level. When he turns his cap around, he's getting his mind right. Just like for the combat, right. just like a pitcher who his on the mound, his foot scratches the dirt a few times. He looks, he, he slaps the ball into his glove a few times, adjusts his hat, and throws the pitch. All those things are he, are to get his mind correct and relax to do the uh, throw the pitch correctly. Yeah, uh, and you mentioned. You mentioned that when his friends are there, uh, he's more likely to get in the fight. That is because he's afraid of what they might think of him if he does not fight. You see what I mean? Yeah. 
This is adolescent thinking. Most of your audience out there are not adolescents. They're adults. And most fights are absolutely avoidable. Not all, no, but most of them for sure. If I had to fight everybody who wanted to fight me when I was a bouncer, I wouldn't be here to give this interview. Your luck will going to play out sometime. You certainly yeah. wouldn't be as pretty as you are now. Well, that's certainly that's true. true. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, next uh, Friday, I'll be 67. Uh-huh. You know, if you take care of yourself, I'm still doing most everything I ever did. I don't go to fast food places. Uh, and I watch my weight. I don't smoke. Of course, I could be killed on my hog tomorrow, but then uh, every, all of us have that day. We all got to go. <laughs> That's right. There you go. There's some some bonus health tips by Peyton Quinn for you as well. <laughs> How to live long and prosper. Yeah, really. That uh, A damn whopper is so much saturated fat, it's unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> stay away from fast food. There you go. Well, but you bring up a really good point that um, the whole point of this isn't just to here's how you kick somebody's ass by throwing the first punch, because if you can avoid the fight, that's great. So if you so like you said, one, it is more dangerous if you if somebody's friends are around because they're going to boost them up like, oh, kick his ass. And all of a sudden now they're concerned what they're going to look like to their friends. However, your your goal is not to kick this guy's ass. Your, your goal is to survive here. And especially exactly. if the guy's friends are around there. You don't really want to get into a fight, even if you get the first strike. They could all jump on you and beat you to death. Well, especially if you take the first punch, because that's not fair, right? Well, so, let's, let's, this is, let's quickly differentiate between two kinds of uh, verbal abuse and wolf. One is predatorial. That's the bully. just wants to humiliate you or maybe beat you up so he feels better about his own weak self-image. I maybe not be much but I'm better than that guy I just knocked down or humiliated, so we left the bar. That's predatorial. But the other is territorial, and they have to be dealt with quite differently. Uh, territorial, you're in the wrong place. No, it's you're in on somebody else's turf, or they think it's their turf, or they want to make it their turf. Now, words that will tip off it's territorial, and it's time for you to withdraw. Uh, you're in the wrong place, man. Hey, we don't need your kind here. See what I mean? Well, and this, let me, let me, because um, I know we talk a lot about biker bars and stuff like that, which well, makes. Yeah, yeah, but you know. But, but it could be a nightclub. I mean, it could be somebody, it could be somebody who's a regular at a nightclub, like a really nice nightclub, and they think that of that as like their go to spot. They go there every Friday, every Saturday, or whatever. In their mind, it, it's not like it's a gang turf, but in their mind, like, hey, this is my club. You don't come into my right, club. Right, I come here all the time. Right, exactly. I'm a regular regular. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and the worst, of course, is if it's um, if it's an actual gang, because they, here's what they may do. One person sitting on the stoop, of the, and uh, you come by, and he gives you a territorial wolf, you know, Hey man, you don't belong here. Now, if you come back with, oh, it's a free country, I'll walk where I want. Then, boom, you're surrounded by 12 of his gang members who appear from nowhere. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. He was the bait. He was the worm on the hook. You see? Yeah. So it is essential that you di- differentiate between a territorial and a predatorial wolf. A a predatorial wolf doesn't really give you an out. But a predatorial wolf does. You're in the wrong place. So you can say, um, uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I. That's okay. I mean, this is w- one thing I wanted to point out to everybody is that what you're exactly what you're talking about right now is is what you go over in your the stress shooting and the, and the Ramcat class. Yeah. Um, that's coming like the, like the one that's coming up in August. Because, and I think that's right. the most empowering aspect of it is you really get to see the signs of people woofing on you, the different types, the different kinds. You feel it. Yeah. You're adrenalized by it, but you also know how to harness that adrenaline for your own power and be able to avoid a fight even at the same time. And, and I think that's what we're talking about here is just because – you know, somebody, um, you know, is, I mean, it can, it can be more dangerous. And if you try and attack somebody with their friends around, you, now you're looking at the whole thing. So what you can do is 
and you talk about this a million times on different interviews that we've done, but giving them an out, giving them a graceful out that oh, lets that's them essential. win. Yes. Yeah. Uh, first, why do they why do they give the verbal abuse? Because and what the fuck are you looking at? I'm not looking at anything. You calling me nothing? You see? Yeah. They want to get you adrenalized. They want that auditory explosion. You don't hear anything. They want that uh, tunnel vision to occur. They want that loss of fine motor control, you know, how, how fast you can move and et cetera, uh, engaged because it makes you a better victim. So the wolf, you know, uh, the, the verbal abuse is what the wolf is and threats and body posture. That is designed to make, to adrenalize you to make you an easier victim. It's prepping you as a victim. Now, I don't know how much time I have, but here's something I want to throw out immediately. <laughs> if you're in a semi-public place or whatever, and you feel that the guy may in, indeed uh, go from verbal to, to physical and try and sucker punch you, you should put your hands up with your palms towards him and shout out, I don't want to fight you. Stay back. Shout it out loudly. So everybody can hear it. Now, people will turn around and look. Some people will, anyway. And they, then if, if it goes wild, let's say he attacks you and you throw him or whatever, and he hits his head and kills himself, you've got a decent legal defense. The girl will say, well, that, the, the guy said, I don't want to fight, and told him to get back. You see? Yeah. Now, another thing, don't, don't make excited utterances at the scene of the incident. Uh, and this is a peculiarity of the law, which I did not agree with, but that's the reality. The, the law takes something you said at the scene as more likely to be true than something you said after deliberation. So if you said, you said, okay, the guy swings at you, you slip the punch, hit him, he falls, hits his head on the corner or something, kills him, and the cops come and say, what happened? And you say in an excited moment, I didn't mean to kill him. Well, no, that doesn't help you. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. You just acknowledge that you killed him. Let, 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 the, let the DA prove that and that it was unlawful killing and not, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. In general... When the cops come and, and you're there, just point out any reason uh, that would support your claim of self-defense, but nothing more. And most attorneys will say, say nothing, because the law does not require you to say anything. You have Fifth Amendment protection. And if you don't want to say anything, then uh, and the cop will try to trick you into saying things, Say, I have evoked my Fifth Amendment privilege, and I will not be questioned anymore until represented by my attorney. That's really what you should say. But let's say the guy hit his head and all like that, but he's 220 pounds and six foot two, and I'm 5'9 and a svelte 176. Well, I would say, look at the size of that guy. He was going to kill me. I guess that. My lawyer always told me never to say anything anymore if it's something like this happened. So I'm going to uh, 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 submit my uh, Fifth Amendment privilege here. Yeah. See what I mean? Yeah. Sure. Lawyers, if you've ever, I tell you, man, it, I would rather face an amateur with a knife <laughs> uh, in a dark alley than have to go through the legal system. You see? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, many, many studies have shown that juries are almost never impartial. They start out thinking, well, he wouldn't be here if he hadn't have done something. Let's listen carefully and see what it is. And you see what I mean? Yeah. That's not really impartial. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, look at conviction rates. If you defend yourself with a knife, you're much more likely to be convicted than if you defended yourself with a firearm. Really? Yeah, that's just the statistical reality. Huh. Why? Because juries are not impartial, 
and they're influenced by movies and television, and the good guys never use knives. They use guns. Hmm. The bad guys are the ones who use knives. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So all that stuff can operate even at a pre-conscious level. The, your your first defense strategy is not to get involved in the shit in the first place. And if you just don't let your adolescent egocentric mind preempt your adult judgment that has a knowledge of consequences like going to prison, being permanently injured, being killed, whatever. Yeah. It's not what is worth that risk. Certainly not false pride. And, and another thing, get to the point where no matter what the guy says to you or whatever or tries to humiliate you, you feel like you're completely in control of the situation because he's not going to get you to fight and you can just leave. Yeah. Yeah, and that comes with that really comes with mastery and having confidence in your own abilities. And we are going to jump into that coming up next. We've been talking with Peyton Quinn of PeytonQuinn.com about the ins and outs of preemptive striking in a real street fight in order to gain the tactical advantage over your attacker and force him on the defensive. We have a lot more coming up, including the critical second strike that will finish the fight for good before your attacker even knows what hit him, and how to break out of the karate block mentality and actually train for getting the first strike in an attack. All this and more coming right up, but first, check out this special message. Imagine staring up at a six foot nine, three hundred fifty pound biker dude, rage in his eyes, ready to cram a beer bottle down your throat as payback for bumping into him. Would you know exactly what to do? Without cowering in fear, without begging for mercy, without getting stomped to the floor and beaten while your family watches in horror? You will now with this simple three-step plan. One, don't take your family to biker bars. That's really kind of stupid. Isn't it? Two, harden your mind with bulletproof warrior confidence. And three, master your own secret bag of shockingly powerful fight tricks. Waiting for you and your free DVD you can claim now at DefeatLargerAttackers.com. In a real fight, you don't have the option of losing. Not when your life or the safety of your family hiding behind you is on the line. You need to know exactly what to do in those first few seconds of an attack and end it quickly and walk away with your life, your loved ones, and your pride intact. In this free DVD, you'll discover the street fighting secrets for how to knock a bigger, stronger man head first into the pavement with brutal, unstoppable power and speed regardless of your size, strength, or even if you've never been in a fight before in your life. Claim your free DVD now while this offer is still available at www.defeatlargerattackers.com and unleash your true potential to kick ass. And now, back to the show. Okay, we're back with Peyton Quinn of PeytonQuinn.com, talking about how to legally launch a preemptive strike in a real street fight in order to survive a violent attack. Now, we've got a lot more to get into, so let's go ahead and jump back in now. Now, for those of you that are listening... Obviously, the, the next thing when we're talking about, okay, you've recognized there's going to be an attack, you, re you recognize that you're in danger, and you feel like you're legally justified to be able to launch a preemptive attack, well, the, the next question would be, like, what's the best attack to throw? Now, that's actually a topic all by itself, and Peyton and I covered this in depth in episode number 74 on One Strike Knockouts, and Peyton actually has a lot of great training when it comes to the science behind what it actually takes to knock somebody out, even if they're bigger and stronger than you in just one blow. So go make sure that you check that out. It's episode number 74 on our channel. But Peyton, what if we don't get the opportunity for that one strike knockout that basically lays this person out? We see that our attacker is still in fight mode, yeah. but we've at least you know gained that advantage of owning the offense. So what barroom tricks have you learned for following up on your initial attack to make sure that you can stop the fight quickly to be able to escape or be able to survive? Well, again, we, ha we have to start with the legal basis. Remember, if, if you hit the guy preemptively, it may be lawful, even though you threw the first punch, because disparity of force or numbers, that sort of thing right. we discussed earlier. However, if you hit him and he is uh, 
Prince totally knocked out and hits the floor, you should run away because now uh, there's the incident is otherwise avoidable. At two, if you kick him or something or continue to attack him after his threat is neutralized, then that's assault. So once you get see once you get into the actual physical fight. The legal stuff gets uh, quite uh, murky. You okay? Now, having said that, I'm not going to allow myself to be physically injured, seriously or not. And I'm also an older guy; I don't heal up like I used to. I'll, I'll be straight out with you. If weapons are the first choice for combat for anybody, if wham, I hit him, and then boom, he throws another shot. I'm going to grab a chair or something and keep him away from me as I keep shouting, stay away, I don't want to fight, that sort of thing. Now, if there's, if there's no time for that, but there really is, if you know what you're doing, uh, then my first shot to, to knock somebody out is just a shoot-out to the crowded art, a knife-hand strike, delivered properly and with power. It's not so much the spot you hit, it's just enough power striking the carotid artery to make the baroreceptors think there could be a cerebral hemorrhage and drop the blood pressure to zero. Some people are much more resistant to this than others. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean that bigger people are less uh, susceptible to this shot. I've seen wiry guys who took a shot that was, I know has knocked six foot two, 220 pound guys out but somehow it doesn't affect them, and they're just more pissed off, yeah. The main thing is, remember, if you go beyond neutralizing the threat and continue to attack the guy, then you're uh, uh, guilty of assault. Two, even when the fight is going on, if you're in a public place with witnesses, try to disengage and give verbals, I don't want to fight, stay back. Uh, you know, I would, if possible, grab a chair to, you know, to hold up. It's, a chair can be a very, especially against a knife. Uh, <clears throat> you know, but we can't really teach any physical technique over uh, the airways here. Well, but let me let me play devil's advocate a little bit there because I mean, I almost look at it when, if as you would if you were with a, you had a firearm, like yeah. I wouldn't shoot once to like wound the guy and then say, okay, stop or I'll shoot again. Like we all know you shoot until the threat stops. Now, if he stays down on the ground, you're good to go. But my concern is, especially if the guy is bigger and stronger than me, I throw a knife hand to the carotid artery. He stumbles back and stumbles back. You have an opportunity to get it to escape. You mm -hmm. have an opportunity to grab a chair and say, stay back. I don't want to fight you. Most now, Let's get real also. Mm -hmm. uh, if I did take the first shot, even after saying stay back and all like that, let's say four or five or six people turn around. If four or five or six people see a violent act, you will get five or six different stories of what happened. And that, you know, I don't know how many detectives have told me that. Mm -hmm. In cases I was involved in a few times. But I've never been convicted of anything. Uh, if if you can escape, do so. Right. That's the that's what I'm saying there. Now, okay. you want to after you hit him, if if he stutters back or you know, you also want to watch his hands. Always watch people's hands to deploy any weapon. You have requires a hand and an opposing thumb. Whether it's a knife, gun, club, or, or heat-seeking missile from a uh, stealth uh, fighter, you see, you have to use your hand to deploy a weapon. So watch, watch their hands, even as you're moving away. Mm -hmm. You know, there are sure. I mean, I, I might, like in the bouncer game, I'd I'd slap his elbow, step behind him, and put him in a naked choke for example, or a uh, Monte de Leon, another kind of choke, which is a little safer for him. And now I've got complete control of it, if, you see. And then I talk to him reasonably and, and try to de-escalate him. But he, if I have him in that choke, 
there's nothing he's not getting out of it uh and if i if he gets terribly violent i just apply it till he passes out but you you know you have to learn it's not anything that's any technique that's so complicated it takes even months to learn properly it's too complicated for a real fight yeah. under adrenal stress yeah and the chokes are pretty simple yeah okay and a small guy a small guy if he gets a choke on a very big guy it doesn't matter that he's smaller as long as he can keep that choke on there and the, the more the big guy struggles the more he uses up the oxygen to his brain and and it always will take him at least five or six seconds to recover from that when you release it if you put him in unconsciousness and that's plenty of time well in the bouncer game i use those pull ties like using a bite to keep your wires mm-hmm. on them uh I, I was ahead of my time now they use those cups use those too yeah uh but you would just but you're not a bouncer you just get your ass out of there i didn't want to fight him i don't want this i'm out of here yeah i would do that yeah Cops, it, the law can be identical, like the law in Colorado is the law in Colorado. It's the same everywhere, every county. However, criminal law I'm talking about. However, the way I know I could do the exact same thing in my county, Park County, and uh, I wouldn't even be charged with anything. But if I did it in Boulder County, same damn thing, same law. I know the DA is going to want to want to investigate and maybe try to plea bargain me for something, which I won't do. So knowing the law is essential, knowing the law in your area, because it varies widely from state to state, but also know how it is enforced, what the attitude of the district attorney is. I mean, that's... Hmm. I don't know how many times I can say this or how many ways you really want to stay out of trouble. And it, you can do it. It's rare that people jump out of the bushes at you. Now, if they do that, then you throw that switch and it's 110% and all bets are off because you, you, you're dealing with a madman. Yeah. But most people will try to prep you as a victim. Most bullies or even territorial, uh, what I call lures, as I spoke of before, uh, if you handle them correctly, show no fear, not the, not the same as not feeling fear, show no denial, don't turn your head away like it's not happening, mm-hmm. and, let's, you know, and then give them an honorable exit. You know, don't make it, don't make it hard for them to disengage. Make it easy. You know, like the guy... <laughs> Uh, this was 25 years ago. I was riding my bike in Arizona. The woman behind the bar sees my bike sitting out through the open door, and it happened to be a 72 Chevrolet at the time. She said, how old is that bike? And I said, um, oh, I a 72 shovel. And at the time, I think I was 47 or 48. And I said, well, hell, I'm 48 myself. And then the guy who I spotted as soon as I came in there, sitting on the corner, and with, with the, you know, the biker paraphernalia, no bike outside, and the long beard and long hair and all like that, and some Nazi shit, which really turns me off immediately. He says, must have lived a pretty soft life then. Okay? Mm-hmm. So what, what do I do? What not to do is say, well, fuck you, motherfucker. Man, what, what purpose does that serve? It's just throws gasoline on the fire. Now he's got to do something because he's in his bar. He can't allow that to go. So I said, <clears throat> well, looked him in the eye so there's no denial and no fear. He realizes Wolf isn't working and he hasn't got an easy victim yet. I said, well, maybe some of it wasn't quite as soft as I'd have liked. But in a friendly manner. He comes over to me and hovers over me, 6'2", whatever, and uh, says, most people back down by now. Now, I almost burst out laughing, but if I had done it so, so brazen, you know, but if I burst out laughing, that would have been an insult and throwing gas on the fire, too. That's not my objective. My objective is to ride out of there with a couple of beers under my, my belly and keep riding, not spend that night in jail or get charged with a 
criminally negligent homicide or something. Mm. So I say to him, oh, I can see that. You're pretty big and, frankly, pretty scary-looking dude. And from your hands, I can see you You work something physically, something hard every day. Now he he sees that I'm observant, and I'm giving him what he really wants, some recognition, some respect. And the whole thing changes right there. He says, I drive D10 cats, but I can handle a... And he rattles off every piece of heavy road equipment. You know, there is. So that's what I mean by giving him an honorable exit. It it can also be seen as uh, giving them their props, their proper respect. And then that's that's what they really want. They want... They feel their lives are a failure, but they won't take... They won't accept um, responsibility for that themselves. Everybody else seems to have what they want because somehow the game's rigged, whatever. Uh, what they really like, and the idea of proper respect, and I, let me throw this out. I know our time is limited. <laughs> Imagine a person uh, gets involved in some crime and is sent to prison for, let's say, five years. For five years, he's in an environment with other human predators. He's a human predator himself. I'm assuming that. So he knows when he's being interviewed for weakness and victim potential, you see? Mm -hmm. So he immediately spots it when somebody, other prisoner tries to do that to him. Now, he can't allow any disrespect to go unchecked because if he does then everybody in the prison will will be a potential bully for him. He'll be a fish, you see. Mm-hmm. So he might kill somebody for not repaying a cigarette. He didn't kill him for the cigarette. He killed him to stay alive and stay safe because the other prisoners will know he's not to be fucked with. Now he's in, let's say he's in this prison for five years. So for five years, every day, 24-7, this guy's being the psychological term, instrumentally conditioned to behave that way. Now he gets out. Do you think all of a sudden he's going to be a different person? He will not be. If you say, if you get in a fender bender with him, you say, you motherfucker, where'd you, you know, mm-hmm. he'll just pull out a gun and shoot you and get back in his car and drive off. There are institutionalized people out there and you don't never know who you're really dealing with. So, like I wrote for the late uh, Patrick Swayze on Roadhouse, be nice. It really is. If you you map it all out, all the possibilities, it's best uh, to be nice. It's it's extremely rare when you have to uh, crush somebody psychologically, you know, or put them in fear of their lives. It's something very rare. In our in this country and the way that our society works, pretty much, you if you know how and you don't get afraid and you don't run in denial, you can avoid most fights, and that's your first and best self-defense. You know, Sun Tzu, the Art of War. What did he say? The greatest excellence is defeating the enemy without ever having to fight him. That's what he meant. He's talking larger scale, you know. But yeah. Well, let's um. That that's a, like a doctorate um, education right there on <laughs> on criminal mindset and, and 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 I do appreciate you going into as much as you possibly can about how to avoid the fight, why to avoid the fight, and things like that. Um, so with unavoidable fights are the are the things that we're tar- trying to talk about, and so we talked about training for that a little bit in being able to recognize the signs that that a strike is oh, going to happen. Yeah, recognize the sucker punch, the drill, the two people facing each other. Right. Well, one person throws a shot, standing a distance away that it can't connect, and the other person uh, watches the cues. Then the next set of the test, the drill is he points when he sees that first cue, and the other guy throwing the shot freezes. So he then begins to reduce his reaction time to it. Are there any other um, are there any other drills that you know of? Like that's so that's great for spotting the cues. Okay. I recognize the person's going to attack me. I recognize the person's going to attack me. The person's going to attack me. Are there any good drills that you know of for actually launching the attack 
um, maybe they're you know against a heavy bag or something like that. Is there anything? You know what uh, what Bruce Lee said about that attacking? There's not much to this art. Punch when you have to punch, kick when you have to kick. Personally, I don't believe in kicking in real fights, but and neither did Bruce Lee. Actually, he said I would never kick in a real fight. Mm -hmm. He meant a high kick. Uh, I think, boy, this gets into some stuff that's that's. It's easily misunderstood. If I have to attack, if the guy, I know I have to preempt. Let's say there's two guys. That'd be when I, and I'm not going to de-escalate them and they're moving for position. Well, if I take that first guy out, it's going to be 110 percent. You know, he's going to be hit as quickly and as hard as I can, and then I'm probably going to throw him so that he boom hits that pavement. But now I now I have to deal with the other guy. In any and before the fight starts, or let's say, all right, this gets into another thing, a very real thing. Some people don't get it. When I was a bouncer, and a guy would he'd be moving his his hands all around. Hey man, you motherfucker! I killed it. Okay, he's moving his hands around and making all this gesticulation. So that I will get used to his hands moving around, and then he'll, while he's doing that and trying to engage me facially, he'll move to the exact perfect spot to which to throw the right hook sucker punch. Now most people are right-handed. If you're right-handed and he's right-handed, that's going to be slightly off your left foot. You see what I mean? Uh-huh. Now if he moves to that spot. You mirror his movement so that you are in the same relative positions. So he's going, motherfucker, I'll kick your fucking ass. And all this, and he moves to that spot. Now, most people, I'd say two out of three, when I move to that spot, that would take the wind out of their sails, so to speak. They would realize, uh, this guy's too aware. And sometimes they go, well, fuck it, you're okay. I'll just jerk in your chain and see how you jump. Something like that, see? But if he went to that spot and I mirrored him, and then he went for it again, I might say something like, you don't seem to be getting it, or, you know, something like that, but not much. I might not say anything. But if he moved there the third time, then I'd enter and drop him because he's not going to, he's not getting it. So if we get in a fight, I can be hurt, he can be hurt. But if I preempt the fight by just knocking him cold, uh, or at least making his knees buckle and then getting behind him with a choke, then uh, he's safer, I'm safer, the establishment's safer, you know, lawsuit-wise. Well, the other aspect of this, if they're positioning themselves to strike, they're positioning themselves based upon where your body is at that time. So if right. you mirror their movement, all of a sudden you... You limit their power because they were setting up their body in a position that was going to maximize their power against right. where you were. And now you've just short-circuited that thing. That forces them to either launch an ineffective attack or it puts them on the on a defense of having to react to where you're at now. That's, so that's, that helps that's, out, that's, too. That's exactly it. And if they, uh, like I said, two-thirds of the time they would get it and break off the interview. The interview is what I call the questions uh, and what the bully does to, to make you afraid and to prep you as a victim. You know, what are you looking at, motherfucker? I'm not yeah. looking at anything. You calling me nothing? You know, yeah. Know. Well, that's a really good drill then. I mean, I think everybody can kind of, you know, kind of gauge that where you still with your, so you have your, your recognition drill that you can do with right. a partner, and then you can also try mirroring the positioning and just do that around almost like in a circle and then see how it, see how to work it, see how to, to position your body mm-hmm. to be able to launch the attack if you have to launch the attack, also how to short-circuit their attack. And then to follow up, I would go ahead and, and go check out our episode number 74 that I did with Peyton on the one-strike knockouts because we talk about the specifics of how to launch um, that one strike that can really end the fight right then and there. And we do talk about how to train for those as well. When you're actually uh, when you're actually doing it, so go check that out as well, Peyton. I really appreciate it. This is a lot of great information here, and this I think uh, everybody needs to kind of listen to this at least twice to be able to get it because 
I always love the psychological aspects that you bring into it because of all the work that you've done, not just with bouncing and things like that, but also in interviewing actual felons, actual murderers, these people, and understanding how that mind thinks. So, I mean, know thy enemy, you know, right? That's that's the whole thing. <laughs> know yourself. So, that's right. You're safe in 100 battles. That's so right. Keep a count. When you get around 98, slow <laughs> Awesome. Well, listen, everybody, uh, go check out Peyton's website for more on his training. Uh, remember, there is a one of his courses is coming up August 19th to the 23rd. I can't tell you enough how much that that course will change the way that you look at, at from your firearms training all the way to verbal training to be able to de-escalate a fight, to be able to recognize a fight, to be able to empower yourself and feel really uh, confident in your abilities, no matter whether you are a complete beginner or whether you are law enforcement or mil we have military contractors there. Uh, it's really outstanding training. So go check it out. You can go over to his website at www.paytonquinn.com. And this is Jeff Anderson. Until our next Modern Combat Central broadcast, saying prepare, train, and survive. Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.